0: All right, John chapter 2. There will be no service on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. And somebody said, oh, no. That wasn't very sincere. But the good news is our new pews are coming in. And they're gonna, yeah. So by the time we come to all church prayer on Thursday night, all the pews will be in place and uh, we've been very patient. You know, the pandemic really messed a lot of people up. The pandemic even completely shut some quote unquote churches down. But we bought this building in a pandemic, started the remodel in a pandemic Finished the sanctuary in a pandemic. God saw us through, and I'm so thankful for that. Thank you, Jesus. John chapter number two, and verse number six through eleven. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner. Of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. See, when God fills something, it's always to the top. God never does anything halfway. Halfway. Verse number eight, and he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Since he was the one that was in charge of such matters, And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory And his disciples believed on him. I want to talk to us for a few moments this morning about the beginning of miracles. The beginning of miracles. Let's put our Bibles down. And I know we praise the Lord a bunch here today. But I wonder if we could lift our hands. Everybody. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be. But let's pray together that God would speak to us. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus, your presence is here so wonderfully, so powerfully, so gloriously. We pray that you'll speak to the church, speak to our visitors, move amongst us, fill the empty water pots so that all of us are full. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This is a famous passage of Scripture. The wedding feast, the marriage feast at Cana, Jesus was there, his mother was there, his disciples. Were in attendance. There were many others that were there. There was also rulers from the synagogue, leaders that were there. It was well attended. If you know anything about Jewish weddings, they can get pretty elaborate and pretty celebratory. I remember several years ago in the Holy Land, I was looking out my hotel window that looked over, overlooking a square um, that was at the center of the hotel. And there was a Jewish wedding feast that was in progress while we were there at the hotel. And they were dancing and shouting and they were having a real celebration over a wedding. You may even remember When Jacob mentioned to his father-in-law Laban that he was going to be departing, how far that, how long that marriage ceremony lasted because Laban knew that when the ceremony is done, um, my daughters are gone and my son-in-law is gone. So that celebration went for days and they know how to celebrate because it is a lifelong commitment before God. God. But it was at this wedding feast that was a perfect time for Jesus to begin his ministry, if I could say that. It was, the Bible said, it was the beginning of miracles. It was the beginning of the supernatural. And it was a perfect opportunity You can read here in this story that we've read in your hearing that they actually ran a little short on joy juice, on wine. Jesus learns of this and takes advantage of the situation. Now, these water pots are very famous, they were uh, part of a ceremonial cleansing for actually the married couple, but Jesus took an opportunity to demonstrate for the very first time his miracle-working power, and so he commanded, as we've already read, he commanded that the servants fill these firkins, which they were called, to fill them to the brim, right to the point of overflowing. Overflowing. And almost immediately after that, he said, draw out now and begin to serve, but start with the most important person here, which is the governor of the feast. And so as they began to serve, they began to drink the wine and they exclaimed about the quality of the wine. In fact, let's look at this again in verse number 10. And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk that which is worse. Meaning that as peoples um, in this celebration that included libations, that while they were partaking of the wine, that as time went on, their their taste buds would not be able to be um, as sensitive and recognize the quality. But here he's saying, That which is worse. But thou was kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles was noticed by everybody. It was being talked about, and he wanted he wanted the governor to taste it. He wanted, he wanted the religious aristocracy and the priests and Pharisees and Those that were in attendance, he wanted them to taste it. He wanted everybody to recognize and to partake of this miracle, and it was noised abroad. What's interesting to us and is so relevant to this message here this morning is the fact that the Bible says the beginning of miracles, this beginning of miracles Anytime something is the first in the Word of God, it follows after an interpretational. Um, it sets it sets a precedent. In fact, in fact, there are three hermeneutical laws. I've talked about this before, and the second one is the law of precedent. It's the whenever something is first done uh, by God in the Word of God, it sets a precedent. For continuing times that something is done, and that leads to a second principle of hermeneutics called the law of redundancy. These are three hermeneutical rules. There's more than that, but these are the first three, the law of context, the law of first usage or precedent, and the law of redundancy. But this first miracle that Jesus did has incredible ramifications even unto you and I. So if this is the first miracle, because Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, what is the last miracle that is done? And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 51. And my friend up there, Brother Malachi, is going to help me. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 51. Behold I show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall be Changed. Say that again. Changed. Say it a little louder. Changed. This this group say it as loud as you can. Changed. This group over here say it. Changed. Changed. The first miracle that Jesus did involved change. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, this particular verse of scripture is describing what is called the rapture. It's also talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 17 and 18. But let's look at the next verse it's in 51 it says behold i show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed look at verse 52 in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed say that again changed. change that is the beginning of the miraculous Is change. But that is not the first miracle that God did after 400 years of total silence. You may remember intertestamentally between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. Both Matthew and the book of Luke uh, record genealogies. And the very first thing that takes place in the book of Luke is you have an angel that is appearing to uh, Zacharias in the temple. And his, they're very old in age. They are stricken in age, okay? We talked about Abraham last week and how that God waited until it was physically impossible for Abram and Sarah to conceive. And then God came in and fulfilled a promise that was 25 years old. And so here is a promise to Zacharias, and to his wife, Elizabeth. And the angel, Gabriel, tells them that your wife is going to bear a child. Everybody remember this story? It's a great story. And um, that it, Elizabeth bears a child and his name is John. But you also might remember that Zechariah was, um, he was stricken to be dumb. He could not speak. Uh, probably the first usage of sign language in the New Testament was by Zacharias because he was not allowed to speak because he asked the angel how this is going to happen. Everybody heard this story before? I want to make sure that I'm not just making this up. Okay, Zacharias said, how shall this thing be? Gabriel immediately struck him to be dumb because he did not base his faith on the precedent that God did with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were stricken in age and could not reproduce, which is exactly what Zechariah and Elizabeth, what he was thinking that there's no way this is going to happen. When God does something in the word of God, it's not for you to argue or to ask how he's going to do it. He expects you to know the word of God good enough that you're going to say, if God did it for them, God going to do it right here. Right here. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. It's time that the culture of our world get out of social media and off of Fox News and get back in the word of God. So we are not totally amazed when God starts moving. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. If God did it on the day of Pentecost, God can do it in 2022 in Spokane, Washington. If God had a thunderous revival in Jerusalem, God can do it right here and right now. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I'm here. And that... So Gabriel moves on to a 14-year-old virgin by the name of Mary. And she responds by saying, according to thy word, be it unto me. No second guessing, no argument, no wait a minute, let me think about it, no abracadabra, Obi Wan Kenobi, just if God said it, here I am, let's do it. Amen. My wife was reminding me here a couple days ago that both of us were praying. We stayed, when we came to Spokane for the very first time in our life, we went to the Ridpath Hotel. They since boarded it up and shut it down, but we spent a night in the Ridpath Hotel, and God spoke to me and said, this is where I'm placing you. And God spoke to my wife and said, I have much people in this city. We didn't wind around. We didn't wring our hands. We didn't We didn't go like this and wonder which way the wind was blowing. We said, God, we're ready. We're ready to pack it up. <laughs> is there anybody sitting out there that all God has to do is give you a promise? And you say, God, I'm the one. I'm ready. I'm Somebody shout. Somebody clap your hands. Somebody want the miraculous. I'm sick of this world. I want a supernatural world. And so when Jesus performs this miracle, in John chapter number two, It's not the first miracle that's done in this time frame. But it is the first miracle that God manifests in the flesh did. Okay, that's important. Because if anybody tells you they have Jesus, the first thing that Jesus is going to do is he's going to change some things. If you've got Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible, the preeminent, primordial, primary thing that Jesus is going to do, the first thing, is he's going to change something. And in John chapter number 2, he changed H2O into wine. It was an absolute miracle of, of molecular ability he changed the chemistry of this fluid from water into wine just think what he can do to a human life welcome to the church of change welcome to the congregation of change no we're not here to become more like the world we're here to become more like jesus and if he began a change, he's going to finish it by getting us out of this world. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. My, 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 my. I love this subject. Recently, a study was done among millennials or millennials of what they're looking for in a church. They have a list. They've all kind of become tired of the witness that is given through our culture. And so they put a list together and come up with a list of what millennials are looking for in a modern church. 80% of all those that responded said the number one thing that they're looking for is friendliness. I believe that. I believe that we ought to be friendly. I believe that this is the friendliest church in town. I don't know a lot of churches are going to give you a free coffee. And if you, have, if you haven't been back in the last 45 days, we'll give you another free coffee. In fact, if that's what it takes to make friends with you, you can just keep on getting free coffees. Number two. The number two thing that millennials are looking for are children programs. Number three is, is contemporary music. Number four um, is sermons. And number five, they're looking for um, pastors. Other things that they put on this list is they are looking for community outreach. They're looking for a demographic that fits their lives, meaning they're looking for other young uh, people like themselves. And they are looking for the quality of programs. Lastly, the last thing on the list, they're looking for denominational affiliation. If they were raised a particular denomination, they have a tendency to go back to that denomination and look for these kinds of changes. As I looked over this list, there was nobody that said, I'm looking to change. I didn't see anything on that list that said, I'm looking for power. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am not trying to be ugly, but I do have to tell you the truth. One of the reasons why I know this church is going to grow and grow and grow is because the first miracle that God wants to do for you is not give you a demographic with two-car garage and a white picket fence and two cars and a cat sitting in the window, but it's to change you with power from another world. I'm telling you, I love good music. Thank God for this worship music that we've got that's Holy Ghost-filled music. Thank God for the hostess station and greeters. Thank God for ushers. Thank God for the friendly saints of God. But make no mistake about it. If you get the Jesus of the Bible, the number one thing he's interested in is saints. He wants to take chains off your heart. He wants to take burdens off your shoulders. He wants to bring you out of a prison house. He wants to get the devil out of your backyard. Come on, Satan, God, clap your hands and give him praise. Everybody said chains. There's a reason why he wanted the governor to take, taste that wine. Because he said, you know what? I know that the table way over here, has got some people barely getting by and they're going to get served here after a bit. I'm going to make sure they get served. There's enough wine here for everybody. But I want the head knocker. I want the leader of this community. I want the mayor. I want people in government to know that there's a power greater than the Roman rule that's arrived. There's a power that's here that's greater than Fox News and greater than Buckingham Palace and greater than the White House and greater than Congress and greater than social media and greater than prescription drugs and greater than fentanyl. There's something in this world that will utterly change a man. Can you imagine what my friend Joe... He's raised in a 21st century world. Him and his wife have been fussing. Joel's been drinking way too much. Doing a little gambling on the side. His wife's been asking where all the money is. He's got some, he's got some junk in his life. And they finally agree, we need to go to church. We need to, we need, we need, we need to revise our behavior. And so... Joe gets online, and he starts looking for a church that mirrors what he thinks he needs. He's looking for a program for married couples. He might be looking for a a nice kiddie program that has the big slide and the big Ronald McDonald balloons at the bottom of the slide. And he's looking for a good youth program for his teenagers, and he's looking for this, and he's looking for that. He's not looking for something that can really change him. He's looking for something that what he thinks is going to help him where he's at. Ladies and gentlemen, this church is right where it needs to be and you are right need to be. Because if Joe ever comes to Cornerstone, we're not here to help you just kind of get by. We're here to introduce you to somebody that will change you from the inside out. It's not just a little handshake. It's not just a little revision of your vocabulary. It's not so you can go out and buy a suit. But when Jesus changes you from the inside out, it's a change that is permanent. It's a change that is lasting. It brings joy. It brings peace. It brings righteousness. It brings power. Somebody help me out right now. Everybody said change. If you've got Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not a denominational post-Reformation Jesus, but if you get the Jesus of the Bible, the first thing he's going to do He's going to want to change you. Let's lift our hands and give him praise. God, I love you today. There's people that walked in here with misery. There's people that walked in here with hangups. There's people here that walked in with all kinds of situations going on. And God, I believe, I believe, I believe that the spirit of God has drawn them. I believe that the spirit has drawn them to this place at this time. I believe that the spirit has brought them into this arena, this supernatural arena where the enemy is cast out. And, and the the great conqueror of eternity is here. And God is, God is able and willing to do what only God can do. But it's got to be preached. Change isn't being preached. Change isn't being proclaimed. Change isn't being announced. Change isn't being heralded. Somebody lift your voice and give him praise. You don't have to run. But they run anyway. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I went for, first went to an apostolic church, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be, you know, the preacher was going to be in a robe. And um, there was going to have be some pageantry and some liturgy and some... You know all that kind of stuff, and you know I, I really didn't know what to expect, but the very first thing that I walked saw when I walked in is exactly what people saw when they walked in. They saw people running. They saw people shouting. You want to know why they're running? Because they're changed. They're no longer bound to prescription drugs. They're no longer drug. Come on, somebody. Some of you ex drug addicts, help me out. Some of you ex fornicators, help me out. Some of you ex alcoholics, help me out. Welcome to the church of change. And if you let God continue to work in your life, you will keep changing. Lift your hands and shout. And (laughs) the final change is when the trumpet sounds, which is a type of the pastor. We'll experience the last change together. And mortality will yield to immortality. And we will experience the rapture together. There was a leader among the Jews that was at that wedding, sitting back over yonder took a big, long draw of that wine and said, what's going on with this? It went from table to table to table. Hey, I thought we were out of wine. I thought all we had was water. Somebody said, no. There's a man over there that changed water into wine. What? That's impossible. That that just doesn't happen. The Jews were not actually optimistic people. They were negative people. But they were negative for honest reasons. They had been under the crushing heel of Roman rule for many, many years now. They were under the times of the Gentiles. During the Maccabean revolt between two testimonies, the Pharisees emerged as a, a ruling religious class not as high as the Sadducees. The Sadducees represented um, religious elitism among the Jews, but the Pharisees represented the common man and by far the most influential. And so these religious groups were firmly in place. The Jews were not a happy, spontaneously positive people because they were in bondage of sorts. Rome was there make sure there was no uprisings, make sure everybody paid taxes, make sure everybody did what they were supposed to do. But this water into wine, what, what's up with that? And so there was a priest whose curiosity got the best of him. And in John chapter 3, verse number 1, we're going to introduce you To this priest, the very next chapter. John chapter 3 and verse number 1. If you got to say amen. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. You know, you got to go at night because you don't want anybody to see you. You know, we're not supposed to be hanging out. I'm somebody important. I need to ask some very basic and elementary questions. And I'm doing so for personal reasons. It's nobody's business what I'm doing. The Bible says that the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Let's put a gold star by Nicodemus' name. He got it right right there. Nobody can do what this Jesus can do. I just want to stop here long enough to remind you that Jesus could have done, stood to his feet, done a little abracadabra and produced bread when they, when they were lacking provision. He could have produced meat like he did to the 5,000. He could have produced something from nothing, but he didn't. He changed water into wine. So keep that in the forefront of your mind. It's all about change. When you get God, you can't say, I have God, and not change. If you've got the God of the Bible, then you will change because God demands change. If you're going to have God's power, you have to change. Or what's going to happen is you're going to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not changing anymore, and then God takes a step back. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll just let God keep on changing you and keep on working on you and keep on elevating you and keep on blessing you, come on, somebody, because God is not going to elevate anybody he won't The more you let God change you, the more God's going to bless you. I get one of these little deals on, online. I've, I've since unsubscribed. I don't even pay attention to this stuff, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, but I get this little deal called My Life. It is a reputation monitor. It is a website that is absolutely full of baloney that tries to let you know who's looking for you in the world. And they sent me a deal here last week, and they said there's a bunch of people that looked you up online. There's a bunch of people that that discovered that you've got a, a wife and a couple children, and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I said, praise God. I hope there's some drug addicts looking me up. I hope there's some ex-rockers looking me up. I hope there's some guys down there in LA I used to run around with. Honey, I'm not ashamed of the power of God. I'm not a, f- if God did it for me, God will do it for you. If God healed me, God will heal you. If God delivered me, God will deliver you. Whatever God did for me. God will do for you, but you gotta get the Jesus of the Bible. Clap your hands and give him the praise because the first thing that God's gonna do, he's gonna change. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. There's one group that ain't looking for me, the law. Dude, I took care of that a long time ago. Spent 10 days in the drunk tank before I was saved. But I thought to myself, man, I hope, I hope somebody found me. I hope somebody found out where I'm at. Some long lost drug addict from the past. I'm wondering, man, what's that guy doing now? that just was like out of it behind the wheel of a car and read, ran head on into a judge at Modesto. My front axle went out and I tried to take off and buried the front axle in the, in the field and they hauled me off to jail. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not bragging about it. I'm just saying that there's people that knew about it. It was in the newspaper. I hope somebody looked me up so I'd have an opportunity to tell them, you know what, <laughs> I've been changed, not by psychology and not by denominationalism, but the God of the Bible called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Somebody needs to shout. Somebody needs to glorify. Somebody needs to magnify. Welcome to the arena of change. Lift your voice like a trumpet and give him real praise. If God's going to do a miracle, it is intended to change you utterly from the inside out. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He says, nobody can do these miracles. Nobody in the science lab. Nobody working for Elon Musk. Let me tell you, Elon Musk is only going to get you to Mars. You hang around here, you're going to be changed at the sound of the trump and on your way to glory. Glory. Nicodemus, just yes, he couldn't, I can, I can see this man just tossing and turning, not being able to sleep at night. He's Jewish. He's Jewish. A, Jewish. a Jewish person did this. Nobody can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Listen to what Jesus, his first response to Nicodemus. Let's look at him in verse number three. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again. That's, I didn't come here for that. I didn't come here to hear that. Nicodemus, being a learned Jewish religious leader, is thinking this is completely not fitting my frame. My intellectual religious frame. He's talking about born again, and I'm talking about how did you do this miracle? Jesus is trying to answer that, ladies and gentlemen. But Jesus is not saying, I'm just gonna do another miracle randomly for you. I wanna do a miracle in you, Nicodemus, and this is how that miracle's gonna take place. And so he continues. He said, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Isn't it interesting? And, and, and church, I know this because I've been through this, and you've been through this. When you're witnessing to somebody, there's just more questions, just more questions, just more questions. Don't grow tired of that because people are, are coming to this at an understanding level. And, and their understanding level is void of any comprehension of the supernatural. How can a man be born when he is old? He's only thinking in physiological terms, meaning that once a person is an adult, there's no way that he can go back into his mother's womb and be born again. That's a physical, natural impossibility. Let's do a wake-up test, right? Right. right. That's, a, that's impossible, right? Right. Right. That was a little weak. It's impossible for an adult to go back into his mother's womb and be born again. But yet that Nicodemus was totally trying to comprehend the phraseology, born again. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was not just doing this for Nicodemus. Jesus was doing this for people that are in this room today. Jesus was doing this for the millions of people over the last 2,000 years who would actually either read the scripture or hear the scripture. And Nicodemus is saying, okay, I don't understand this. How, How can a man be born when he is old? Does he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Look at what Jesus said in verse five. Truly, truly, that's what verily, verily, or verity, Verity is where we get the word truth or true. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except, this is inclusive and exclusive, exclusively, except a man be born again. Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is describing a supernatural birth That was totally unknown by any human being at this point. There's not another human being on the face of the planet. Hundreds of millions of human beings alive at that time. Nobody comprehended what born again meant. Nicodemus didn't even understand it. But Jesus breaks it down for him. And I'm going to break it down for you. Jesus said, except the man is born of the water and of the spirit. Uh Uh-huh, Okay. I can see Nicodemus, you know, kind of perplexed, but okay. All right. Jesus continues on. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So there is a distinction. Between flesh and spirit, Nicodemus is the first human being to ever receive this kind of information. And this is a perfect time for me to stop right here and say, I'm not interested in fleshly church. Neither are you. I'm not interested in just going through the motions in the flesh where this is a show. This is not a performance up here. This is a presentation of praise and worship unto God. And I want to tell you, I can tell the difference between fleshly church and spirit church. And you can too. And once you become the recipient, once you adjust your nodules and your spiritual taste buds to things of the spirit, you will never be satisfied with fleshly church. It's 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 you can you can sense it because you have the Holy Ghost. I've had people through the years tell me, Pastor, I went to go visit another church and I felt the Holy Ghost. That's because you had the Holy Ghost. It doesn't mean that the Spirit was there, you took the Spirit with you. So Nicodemus is listening to this. He has nothing to hang his understanding on. He's just listening to Jesus, and Jesus is saying, "That which is flesh is flesh. Marvel not that I say unto thee." In verse number seven, you must be born again. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's being born again, and then there's being born again. And what's happened is is we're living in a over religious, um, we're living in an overly religiously educated world, but it's religiously educated with the the wrong information. When you are born again, according to the word of God, when the spirit fills you, you're going to make a sound. Well, I'm born again. What happened? Nothing. Remember what the first miracle was? If you're not changed, nothing happened. Now that's not a put down. But see, false prophets and false teachers are operating in this world. They're a dime a dozen. Because nobody is standing up and saying, that is not true, that is not right, that is not biblically accurate. I have a responsibility. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not being judgmental. I'm not being ugly. I wish I would that everybody came to the truth. But we're living at the end time. And we don't have time to patty cake with people and and, and try to play with things. Somebody has to get up and say, listen, if you did not do it according to the word of God, then you did not get everything God has for you. But you can you can, because the first miracle that Jesus does is what? It's what? Amen. And so Nicodemus is stroking his beard. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Let's, let's look at verse number eight. This is not a suggestion, okay? Okay. This is not like five speeding signs that you're going to see before you finally understand through the repetition of signage that I guess I better slow down. There are some things God only said one time in the Word of God that you have to obey. That's why to a culture that has been so trained by Social media, and so trained by the media, by the propaganda, and the false voices of our world, it's time to lift our voices in love. It's time to lift our voices in compassion. It's time to lift our voices in faith and trusting God like we have never lifted our voices before. That, hey, if you think you were born again over there and nothing happened, let me invite you to come to our church where when you go down in the water and the Spirit of God fills your life, I'm going to prove to you biblically something's going to happen if it's God. God, something's gonna happen if it's God, something's gonna change. If it's God, somebody help me out right now. The, this is the fundamental, foundational difference between the apostolic movement and everybody else in our world. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Look at John chapter 3 and verse number 8. Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. The word wind there comes from the Greek word in the Septuagint pneuma, which is exactly where we get the word wind and spirit. One Greek word, five English words. That was the challenge the translators had, is because English is by far the most illustrious language, so... The original translators had a challenge of translating the original languages into English. And they put the word wind there, but it should be spirit. The spirit blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. How do you hear the sound of the spirit? But you cannot tell where it is coming and where it is going. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit, which means everyone that's born of the Spirit is going to make a sound. Am I getting that right? Everybody out there? Okay. How do you know the wind's blowing? You hear the sound of it. It blows through the trees. It blows up against the house. It blows across the window. You have the the window open, you can hear the wind blowing outside as it's blowing. You can hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where the wind's coming and where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, what that simply means is when the Spirit of God fills somebody, you got to be born of the water, and you got to be born of the Spirit, you're going to make a sound. Everybody said, Chang. I was raised United Methodist. I had no comprehension. I couldn't even spell Pentecost. When I went to a apostolic Pentecostal church, I was perplexed. I had no idea. First thing I do, I saw people running. I saw people jumping. I had no idea what any of that meant. But I sat down long enough for somebody to give me a Bible study, and that was all it took to convince me that when the Spirit of God fills my life, there's going to be a change. Let's lift our hands and give him praise. I want that change in my life. How about you? If God's freely given that to every single human being and it's poured out on all flesh, I want that. 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 In fact, maybe I'm talking to a saint of God here today that they found themselves backed into a corner and they're, they just don't feel like they can get out of it and, it's, and life is oppressing them and life is pressing them down and they don't have the personal self-discipline that they really know they should have and they don't feel. Let God change that. Get in the spirit. Get in the presence where God can change you and God can change your situation. So, what did Jesus just say? Jesus just said this. The seed is the word of God. The heart of a human being is the egg. Faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Once you receive the word of God into your heart, you now have faith, but it takes a process of getting you to the place. We are now ready to be born, and the water is water baptism in the name of Jesus, and the oxygen that first fills a baby's lungs is nothing more than the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The exact same physiological sequence of producing a child naturally is used to produce a child supernaturally. Well, I don't think baptism is really, you know, you're listening to postmodern, post-reformation doctrine that has taken and completely disassembled this and put man-made interpretations and man-made theology in the place of apostolic doctrine. And there's just no other way to say it. We can scream it. We can teach it. We can yell it. I prefer to just talk like I'm talking, but that's exactly what the truth is. What you had is, is you had the apostolic message that was taking over the Roman Empire in the first century. And the Roman Emperor, Constantine, had to put a stop to the apostolic church because they had already taken over Asia Minor. That's where all those churches were that you read in your Bible. And so first thing he did is he renamed Byzantium Constantinople. It was his way of Rome claiming that part of the world. And then they had a series of councils in the region with political leaders and religious leaders in the third century. And basically, Constantine said, you know what? The Roman Empire has been pagan for hundreds and hundreds of years. They actually thought that the Caesar was deity. They thought that Roman leadership were deities, whereas Greek mythology had these mythological figures like Jupiter and Zeus and Neptune. The Roman Empire went one step further. They made human beings deity. And so they came into the region and they said, listen, we cannot beat this. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what kind of power these people have. I don't know what these guys got, but we cannot, we cannot, we cannot defeat this group. We tried to suppress it. We tried to make up rules. We tried to make laws. They just keep growing. So instead of us fighting it, we're going to change hundreds and hundreds of years of paganism, and the Roman Empire is now going to become Christian. But we're going to change some things. Instead of God being one, God's gonna be three. Instead of baptism in the name of Jesus, we're gonna do baptism in in the three. And people are no longer allowed to read Bibles, and people are no longer allowed to be used of God, only the priests can be used of God. No one gets a Bible. And that was the start of what we call the Roman Catholic Church. If you're Roman here today, I would would not offend you for a million dollars but I'm going to tell you what it's time we tell the truth and tell people that what we have is reality if Jesus changed water into wine Jesus can change your miserable life into the peace and joy and power that only God can do and somebody needs to preach it we're not going to preach it by fitting in with contemporary Christian Christianity we're not going to change it by going through the motions and just, just playing patty cake and being afraid to tell the truth God is looking for somebody that will stand up and say, God changed me, and God will change you. Let's clap our hands and give him great praise. Oh, I want change today. There's somebody in this house that wants change. We talk a lot about preaching the gospel, but God brings us people. They need to know what they need to do. You need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins in water. And then you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost, which is spirit, water and spirit. You ain't going to have a real church without that stuff. You may have a group of people. But you're not going to have a real church because Jesus has purchased the right. Jesus has paid for the sins of the entire human race. But it's not applied until we obey. When Jesus took upon the penalty for the sins of all mankind... He actually paid for the sins of some people that will never experience the benefits of that. Because the only way you can experience the benefits of that is to experience death, burial, and resurrection through repentance, baptism, and then fill of the Holy Ghost. Death, burial, resurrection. Repentance, baptism, infilling of the Holy Ghost. Blood, water, clap your hands and give him praise. The beginning of miracles is going to be the end of miracles. When I went down in the water and came up, when I received the baptism of reality and spoke in other tongues, the change began. God delivered me of this. God delivered me to that. And some of it I had to work with him. And it's continuing to work. But someday in the near future, as that progress of change continued, there's going to be a trump sound. And if I have allowed him to continue to change me, we shall be changed changed in the twinkling of an eye <laughs> clap your hands and give him praise it's all about change let's go to acts chapter 2 verse number 1 and when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place every single every single Christ-believing person that knows anything about the Bible says, yes, this is the birthday of the church. Acts chapter number 2 is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When spirit was poured out on all flesh. Verse number 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. Next verse. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to. I don't want to offend anybody's college professor. But if your college professor says, that speaking in tongues is no longer for the human race. I would say, <clears throat> can you show me that in the Bible? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Great. 13, where it says, tongues shall cease. That's when we're face to face with Him. Read all the chapter. <laughs> We we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. When I'm face to face with Jesus, I don't need speaking in tongues. I don't need prophecy. I don't need the gifts of the Spirit. I don't need anything. I'm going to be at His feet. I'm going to be there to magnify and to glorify. The gifts of the Spirit are on this side. The glory of the Spirit is on this side. Somebody clap your hand. Everybody said change. Everybody said change. If I was, if you would have brought me into a church like this when I was 15 years old, you would have probably never got me into this altar. I was, I was raised in a shame-based environment that had a minimal amount of attachment with my parents. Consequently, I didn't really know who I was. I was was a very maladjusted, emotionally malformed person. I would have been greatly intimidated. I'm going to tell you what, when I got 30 years old, after enough drug trips and enough times behind the wheel where I couldn't even tell you how I got in the car, couldn't even tell you how I got home, couldn't even tell you how I got in bed, I was not afraid to stand up when they said, "Would you like to come to this altar?" It takes a little bit of living until people get ready to change. It takes a little bit of hunger for God. If things are well and the bills are paid, and da da da, and this is what we're fighting, this is why it's the Laodicean spirit in our age is. Is everything we're comfortable? You know, I don't want to have to sacrifice. So I want to have to get out of my, my comfort zone. Everything's fine. Every, I don't want, you know, everything's good. Well, I'm going to tell you, in this day and age, there's going to be some people that want to change. I'm going to tell you what the devil is trying to tell these people that you just go ahead in kindergarten. They're trying to teach transgenderism and trying to tell you that may I know you're in a boy's bobby, but maybe you were, you were created to be a girl. I rebuke that demon in the name of Jesus. And I I've come against it in the name of our God. We have come. We've got the power that can reverse anything. We represent the power that can correct anything that the devil can do to somebody. Would you clap? Would you stand to your feet and clap your hand and lift your voice? Everybody said change. Say it at the top of your lung chain. Clap your hands and give him praise. While you remain standing, go to verse number 38, Acts chapter number 2. We all know this so well. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, there's the water. I mean, you, you almost have to be a person that, like, is just saying, no, I don't want truth. Because it is so absolutely clear. The first miracle, the law, that is a her- hermeneutical, interpretational law. And this is where it took place. water into wine, and then water and spirit. And now the first day of the church. Change. The very first day of the church, the power to change is made available. Amen. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's lift our hands and worship God. Oh, the first miracle is change. Come on, let's praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for calling me out of darkness. Thank you for allowing these precious people to be here today. There's somebody that's weighing it all out right now. That's why we have to preach without fear or favor because the the, the scales have to tip in God's favor. Because with some situations we only have one shot at this. We only have one opportunity at this. And I don't want to be guilty of not telling you the truth. And I I don't want to be guilty of not demonstrating what God can do. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. How many of you have experienced change? How many of you are different now? Come on, it's different now. When Jesus moved on the inside, it's different now. I used to lie, but now I tell the truth. I used to steal, but now I give. I used to do all kinds of things but now i 'm separated from the word world and i 'm working on being holy come on lift your hands and give God the praise here today maybe there's somebody under the sound of my voice you're saying pastor i don 't understand all this but I know I know what the Bible says I know I need to change I know I need to do what God is asking me to do this altar is open to you I want to come on i 'm asking the church to bring somebody with you i 'm asking the church to come and bring a guest with you you. Maybe they're just going to come and stand, but we can create an environment that they can feel something. They can feel that resonating power of God. There's world changing power here. If you've not been baptized in Jesus name, you need to be born again of the water and the spirit. You need to be baptized exclusively in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and God will fill you with the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's come down to the altar. Let's lift our hands. Let's give Him praise. Jesus, I want what You have for me. I want what the Bible says. I want to obey the Word of God. I want to obey the Gospel. I want to. I want to be obedient come on you that have been changed reach out for somebody you that have experienced the power of God reach out to somebody in the name of Jesus